The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Watch him throw the ball, we gon' pick it up You gon' let him hit the hole or you gon' cut it off You gon' play through fourth and long or you gon' punt it off Your defenders have you hit us, put your pads in Don't be looking for the ref to throw no flags in Keep the helmet on, keep the cleats tight You the type to want to win by any means, right? You should look alive, this is Trap or Dive Yes, sir. Welcome back to another episode of Trap or Dive Podcast Provided to you by 214 Media and SB Nation's Hogs Haven. I am your host, Marley Moe, in here with AJ and Dre. Um, record the episode. Look, so I don't I don't have any non-draft topics to talk about. Uh, I think we could go ahead and get them right. Into, I mean, unless AJ, I saw your tweet. Um, I, I wanted to save this on the show. You know, I did I did see your tweet about snowfall. Um, I don't think it's a good time to talk about it. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, but I just saw it, so <laughs> It was it was kind of crazy. Uh, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave it alone. But but shorty shorty crazy. My dukes. My dukes a wild. She she a wild one. Hey man, this is this has been an amazing season. So hey, many yeah. things have happened that couldn't even predict. I never would have thought she accident. Hit the enter button. Yeah, I was like, you. I was like, why am I hearing <laughs> trap or dive music again in my ear? But yeah, I never thought that she'd be the one not to spoil it for anybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Dre, Dre, man, how y'all, how y'all doing? Y'all, y'all straight? Y'all good? I'm good, man. Like, I don't watch Snowfall, but maybe I'll watch it one day. So don't spoil it for me, you know. <laughs> well, luckily for you, the season, the season is about to end. The series is about to end, so you can watch it on your own time, but. When you when you get when you get locked in, bro, you're gonna get locked in. It's up there. At least I have a whole binge watching episode. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so administrative items, man. If you are new to the Chopper Dive podcast, if you are listening or watching, whichever way you are doing it, make sure you hit that follow button, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We definitely appreciate it. Um, and then on the show today, man, it's all draft talk. Keith Sanchez, senior NFL draft analyst with the draft network and co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast joins us right now. Obviously, to preview the NFL Draft, man. Keith, appreciate you joining us, big dog. How you feeling? Oh, man, I'm good. I appreciate y'all having me. How y'all doing? Man, I, I can't complain too much, man. Everything's straight on our end. On our end. Um, and for those who don't know, because I, I, I saved this question purposefully for the for the podcast. Um, Keith was part of the, the 2019 um, LSU staff that won the Natty uh, as a personnel analyst. Uh, it's not too often, Keith, that we have somebody on the show, you know, who's been part of one of the best NFL or college football teams in its respective uh, league history, man. 
I, I gotta ask you, just walk us through that season. Um, that was a crazy year. Uh, hold on one second. What happened with AJ? Okay, boom. That was a crazy year, bro. And like, I didn't see it coming. Uh, with LSU, I didn't like over the years. Like that, like that team was kind of building to that moment. But over the years, like I just I didn't know what it would take for them to get over the hump in a sense. Uh, but you were there. You were foot foot on the ground, man. How how did that season feel for you? Um, and like, was that a year where you kind of knew that this was your championship year? Like it was, it was no other team that was going to win it except for LSU. Uh, man, if, if I told you that I'll be lying, right? I knew that we, we would have a, a really good football team, but what people always forget is the the year before, right? Like that year that Joe Burrow won the Heisman, won the national championship. There was a year before that, that he was at LSU. And I think he threw maybe 22 touchdowns and, you know, nine interceptions, right? Which is a, okay football year so i knew that we would have a good team because we had really good leaders um we were really competitive on all levels of the defense and offensively you know we watched justin jefferson we knew jamar chase like we knew clyde can tote the rock so i knew that we would have a good football team but i mean we have to be honest right like we still play in the sec you know what i'm saying and that's a weekend week out battle so that's going through you know florida with kyle pitts right that's going through this you know that vaunted georgia defense that's going through bama right which up until that point i think it had been maybe 10 years since we had last beat them it had been a good game right but was it really a rivalry if you don't beat them right and we had to beat them at home so man to, to be honest to answer your question mo the, the process and the approach, and it's, it's one that's kind of cliche, but it was one that Coach O just consistently emphasized. It was a week-by-week week process, man. Like, like when it was week one, we focused on who, who we were playing week one. When it was week two to travel to Texas and that showdown, we focused on week two. When I think when it was week eight to play Florida, we fo- you know, we focused on Florida. Then we got to Bama. Um, I think that was the first time, and I had been around LSU for five years at that point, right? That was the first time I think that it was like, you know what? we're not worried about them. We're going to worry about us. I think that was the first time that I, I think it was that attitude. I think there were years prior to where, you know, we were so focused on Bama, but not focused on LSU. And so going into the, I think we played free, man. We played free. We played relaxed. You had guys like, and, and it's the, it's the players, man. It's the guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. I know they know him for doing the gritty and stuff like that, but if you really pay attention to them, for the most part, they're guys that just go about, balling out and going about their business right like for the most part that's who they are and and that's what happened right we stepped into Bama we was like you know what we ain't worrying about them we're not worrying about Trayvon Diggs and all those guys on that side of football we're gonna ball out we're gonna hand it to y'all we're gonna walk up the field and do our thing and man once we got to the playoffs I, I I think it was more so you know what we here now let's just go win it so I think it was a confidence but it it, it was not arrogant but I think it was a, a confidence that you know what if we play our best football then I, I'm not sure how many teams can hang with us but Keith, um, I wanted to follow up on that because obviously Joe Barrow, you mentioned him. Was there any point in that spring or summertime that you all saw as a staff, this guy is really going to take this leap? I mean, because he took a leap that, I mean, no one foresaw. I mean, because even our fans here, we talk about how Dwayne Haskins beat him out for the starting quarterback job at Ohio State before he transferred. So, I mean, was there a point in that spring, maybe the spring game, the summer, you said, man, this dude's different now. Yeah, I, so those those summer practices, those fall practices, and how those are structured are, you get three weeks pretty much leading up into the first week to practice of the game, right? And so those fall, fall practices, every Saturday we would have scrimmages. 
And that's our offense versus the, you know, versus the defense, right? So that's you're talking about good on good, right? You're getting Derek Stingley guarding Jamar Chase. You're getting Grand Del Pitt guarding Justin Jefferson in the slot. You're getting Christian Fulton on Terrace Marshall. So that's NFL talent on NFL talent at the end of the day, right? And watching Joe Burrow, you've seen this new offense where it was a lot more spread. It played to what his tools were, right? Like I, I'll tell anybody, man, you go to the park, wherever you line up Joe Burrow with five or ten of the, the you know best NFL quarterbacks, I'm not sure you're going to walk away and say that Joe Burrow has the strongest arm because he doesn't, right? Like in, he probably his arm, his arm talent as far as power and strength is probably slightly above average, to be completely honest. And that's no knock to Joe. But mm-hmm. what Joe is, Joe is very cerebral. And that's what that offense allowed him to do, right? Like all of these option routes that you've seen Justin Jefferson running a slot, they seen the defense the exact same way Joe Burrow could get the ball out of his hands, right? And then now you see in Cincinnati with him being able to throw those kind of back shoulder balls, those 50-50 balls to Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow has good touch on his football, right? So I think it was just a it was a combination of everything that that fit. We finally had an offense that, you know, was high powered, but it also fit what Joe Burrow did because the year before I think that offense was predicated more on the quarterback having an elite level arm, right? Getting the eye formation, play action, throw these 15, 20 yard comebacks and and drill them, right? Like right before the defensive back get there. And that wasn't necessarily Joe Burrow's strongest suits, but the guy, he's a gamer. He's extremely tough. He's smart as hell. And he just knows how to, you know, like he's very precise with the football. And I think that's what, that's what kind of came about with that. AJ Dre, only we can hope that um Sam Howe can can blossom to, to the nearest to the nearest degree that 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 Joe Burrow did, man. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, look, ain't, I ain't I ain't got no hope for that. Like, look, look, yeah, I, I, look I, I, I thought about yeah, I thought about leaving Sam good, Howell out this conversation. It, it probably wasn't it probably wasn't fair to him. <laughs> I mean, you you can't him. you you can't really leave him out the conversation when we got a guru. On the line, because I mean, even what he just touched on with Joe Burrow, I was wondering if like now in his process, you know, being in a different chapter of his life, how how does he now evaluate quarterbacks after experiencing hands on, you know, a Joe Burrow and, you know, the different intangibles that maybe you just can't teach at all. And that that's that dog. Yeah, no, nah, and I think you you hit on it, AJ. Um, it, it's that dog, and it's that it man. If you just watch the quarterbacks, and you say when there's chaos around, right? When I'm talking about like you know free blitzers and the offensive line is losing, which quarterbacks are just simply making the right decisions? Which quarterbacks look comfortable when chaos when chaos is surrounding them? And that's what I that's what I learned, man. Like the best quarterbacks, they look comfortable in chaos because we draw it up and we watch these seven on seven camps and we talk about arm talent and arm strength and how far somebody can throw the football but none of that matters if the minute that chaos hits right they start panicking and and i mean you can apply that to anything in life right like would you want a friend that the minute y'all go out and chaos break out and he loses mind like you don't want you don't want that right you want somebody like you know what somebody's gonna stay cool level-headed and we're gonna be able to make calculated decisions all the way through this process and that's kind of where more where i'm leaning with quarterbacks man just just watching them play in the pocket see okay cool it's free blisters what do they do with the football right like and it's it's those key moments okay if it's third and eight and you know how do they throw the back shoulder football like just things like that i, I think the and i don't want to discredit the pro days but when we're talking about zach wilson rolling out to his left launching the football 80 yards down the field 
and he goes pick number two because of that. I mean, then then what are we doing, right? Like, like, like where, where do we go with this? And, yes, he had arm strength, and he can do that. But how many times did he do that in the NFL? So I, I, I look more at how, like, what a quarterback's demeanor. Like, when you look in their eyes, like, and, and we've all been there, right, playing park ball, high school, college, whatever, and you be like, man, that dude's scared. And it's the same thing on the field, man. Like, because previous to Joe Burrow, right? Or if I'm watching the opponent's team's quarterback, you can look in their eyes and be like, that dude's scared. Like, he don't want any parts of this. And I think that's that's something to it, man. When they talk about the eye test, look in their eyes. And you and you will see a whole lot for it. With, within the respects, I, I wanted to get to your, your mock drafts. Um, but on the, the respect to the quarterback conversation um, and how you evaluate it, man, it's say – for Washington, right? You got Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howe. They're they're supposedly battling out for QB one, um, but I don't think and I don't think AJ or Dre. Uh, I think they're in the same boat as me. But I don't think that they, if something presents them, Washington presents has an opportunity presented to them to select the quarterback in the draft, not necessarily first round, but in the draft. Um, I want to get this floor to you. If you if you had to rank uh, your four quarterbacks based on how you evaluate them, uh, Keith, what? What does those four look like? What what the the people with the dog in them like? What does that look like for you? Um, and and who can who can Washington kind of look at to say, all right, well, if they're gonna look into a quarterback, I think this person is is the right one to fit in the mix because he has a decent shot of winning this thing. Yeah, all right. So I'll start with number one. I my my highest rated quarterback from this draft was Bryce Young. And I, I had to come to grips, right? Just like everybody else, understanding that, man, this guy's small, right? Like, he, mm -hmm. we haven't seen this before in the NFL. And I would be lying to y'all if I didn't tell you that his size scares the hell out of me, right? But I have to give him credit, man. This is a guy that went against Georgia in that defense. And, you know, like I tell people, man, Jordan Davis didn't get any bigger in the NFL, right? That's the same Jordan Davis. N'Kobe Dean didn't grow. Lewis Sign, Chris Smith, Keely Ringo, um, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, like all those guys are going to be the same size. And what I'm saying is, is that he's played against NFL caliber defenses already, and he's managed himself to figure that part out. So that's the part where I have to give him credit. I know size is a concern, but everything else we're talking about being cool, calm, collective, man, go cut on those, that Auburn tape for 2021, cut on that Florida tape for 2021, cut on a Texas tape for this year. And you see a guy in pressurized moments, He's just like, okay, cool, let's get the job done, right? In any game that the that Alabama has lost, I don't think you could directly point to Bryce Young and say that he didn't put his team in position to kick the field goal or whatever that may be to win the football game. Um, the next up is C.J. Straw, man. And, and C.J. coming into this year, I did have questions about him, whether that was going through all of his progressions and, you know, being timely with it. But obviously the Georgia game, and I would say go watch the Michigan game before that. They lost. They got blown out by Michigan, a rival. But that was one of his best performances, man. Go check that game out. And then third, I would put Anthony Richardson. I think Anthony Richardson is third. Um, I'll be completely honest. I'm going to say Anthony Richardson, then Will Levis. But both of those guys, there are – a lot of things that they need to improve, right? And, and just watching the film, the film is not great. You're not going to see great stuff on the film. You may see moments, but the consistency lacks. So those two are guys um, that I think need to be in situations that definitely tend towards their best assets. Now, in your two most recent mock drafts, um, Washington, for you, Washington selected Devin Witherspoon at 16. And uh, right after that, you had Joey Porter Jr. and Deontay Banks both going to the Steelers at 17. Uh, with for with Washington, like why Witherspoon? Um, and what were the biggest fit differences between uh Porter Jr. 
and Deontay Banks and then uh, Witherspoon at 16. What was the differences to, to, to select Witherspoon for both uh, mock drafts in Washington? Yeah, so I, I think Devin Witherspoon is a little bit more versatile than what he offers, than what Joey Porter Jr. I think Joey Porter is strictly an outside corner, right, because, you know, he's a taller guy, longer. Now, with Witherspoon, I think he's a guy that – and you, you've heard rumblings, right, about this is a guy that can possibly play sock because he's 5'11", 6' foot, right on that area. Those taller, longer guys, you usually don't want them to be able to travel and play in the slot because they're usually – you know, they're, they're taller, right, so they're higher hip. They don't have the quick transitions. They don't have the reactionary athleticism to hang with those smaller guys in the slot. So I thought about as far as the, the Washington commanders, just having, you know, like matchup DBs, right? Like DBs that can travel, you know, anywhere within within the um within the wide receiver. So that's why I went with the Witherspoon pick. Um, I think he'll grade out higher than what Joey Porter Jr. would. Um, Deontay Banks, I know you mentioned Deontay Banks, the corner out of Maryland, the DMV area. I like Deontay Banks a lot, man. He reminds me a lot of last year's uh, Kair Elam out of Florida that the Buffalo Bills took in the first round. But I thought that Witherspoon was just a, a notch ahead of him, so that's why I had uh, Deontay Banks going after. Well, I wanted to ask you real quick, would Forbes be in uh, – Forbes out of Mississippi State, would he be in that conversation with those three as well? Yeah, for me, yeah. And and so that's that's the the weird part of, right, about the, the mock dress, right, is that, you know, we're, we're predicting what people may do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and we may have our, um, you know, positional rankings, right, but we're also predicting, okay, we're looking at, you know, GM's past history. Um, we're looking at, you know, obviously team needs, but then we're also looking like, okay – in the past, would NFL GM select the cornerback that's 160 pounds? And that's what Emmanuel Forbes is. For me, you watch the film, Emmanuel Forbes is a, is a dog, right? Like, I, I think he's a high-talented player. He reminds me a lot of um, Marcus Peters, the cornerback, you know, that played for the Rams and the Ravens. Like, he, he reminds me of that type of football player that he just takes the football away, man. Like, I, I it is what it is, right? I had one NFL scout, I was talking to him um, – at the senior bowl, we're talking about Emmanuel Forbes, and he's like, Look, um, Emmanuel Forbes broke the record, I believe, for pick sixes in NCAA history. And he's like, Man, you know how long they've been playing college football, right? And and you think about that, it's like, Man, you have to give this guy credit for just being cerebral, really small football player. So while I may have him graded as a, a top 25, top 30 football player. When we go to the mock drafts a little bit, it's a little bit more predictive of what I think the NFL general managers may do. And, you know, obviously we know there's thresholds for like height, weight, things like that. But, man, Emmanuel Forbes is a baller. Yeah. I, I don't know. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, uh, the like little I, video delay, but we can hear you. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just like, I, I don't know. I'm in the matrix over here video-wise. But, uh, <laughs> no, nah, I definitely like Emmanuel Forbes. uh I think he is he's a ball hog. Kind of reminds me of uh like you said, Marcus Peters and Asante Samuel. They just got a knack for the ball. Like they're not gonna make no no plays in the run game. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can't teach that intangible of being able to flip the field for an offense. Um, and like you said, it, it's unfortunate that some of these teams value certain things more than the other. Uh, but I guess what I wanted to ask you is crazy. I want to say maybe a couple of weeks ago, I came across uh, you and some of your partners talking about the running back position. I'm very high on Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama uh, and formerly at Georgia Tech. And I believe that he's running back number one in this draft. 
what's what's your opinion on that and do you see him as bringing more value to an NFL team more so than your traditional back such as a B John Robinson yeah AJ I started smiling man when you said that because that's that's something I've been battling uh you know for the past couple months man if Jameer Gibbs is in fact RB1 but what I what I think is this man I, I think when I put in my final grades they'll probably be damn near equal and great but I think they offer you different things uh and I have so much respect for Jameer Gibbs and his ability to catch the ball period like and I, and I think we're used to hearing running backs you know kind of oh he could catch the ball out of the backfield that's what we need I'm like no like this guy is different like he's a I think he's a wide receiver like I, he goes on most teams and he's the wide receiver three so in reference to the commanders right I think this is a guy that steps in and he's wide receiver three behind, um, you know, behind y'all starting two wide receivers, right? Dotson and um, I'm blanking on our guy. Um, yeah, yeah. He so he he's he's wide receiver three. So you think about that being a, a, a passing weapon, right? But then when over you, Curtis yeah. too, just to, over Curtis. Yeah. I, I think the dude that nice, man. I think the dude is that nice. I, I I think he's that talented. Um, and then you talk about putting him in the backfield, and this guy is actually a running back like this is a guy that hits the hole he gets skinny in the hole he's able to manipulate um you know level by level so i i appreciate this guy's game so much the you hear me talk about the running back conversation i know that's a hot topic in the nfl right like the devaluation of running backs like just you know say that they're not good but i always look at the opposite corner that like okay cool well you know todd Gurley ran the los angeles rams to a Super Bowl, right? Like that wasn't Jared Goff, that was Todd Gurley. Ezekiel Elliott, when the Cowboys were having their better years, that was Ezekiel Elliott toting the rock for that team. And you know, you talk about Derrick Henry, right? Where would the Tennessee Titans be without Derrick Henry? So I think those special backs, I think you draft the special ones um, appropriately and, and then in their, their talent slot, because you're talking about letting those two guys slide. And I'll say this, if the NFL lets Jameer Gibbs slide all the way to 31 or 32 to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, good luck you know what i'm saying like this is that's a wrap yeah one of my things that that bothered me and i, and I was going to actually present the, the situation to you like um like understanding the thoughts of roster needs and then understanding like the best player available like if if your roster needs consist of xyz and like the best player available on the board when you're about to pick is outside of your top three roster needs um, but he is the best player available um, and you can use him on the field and he's going to, he's going to be a playmaker for you. I, uh, a, a running back for Washington um, who they can, I, I don't disagree. Like we had this conversation the last couple of weeks. You can use a running back. Washington can use a, a game breaker in Dijon or Jameer at, at running back. Um, if you're a GM, like how are you kind of meshing the thought of like that BPA versus uh roster need and, and how important that is to you in the first round of the draft? Yeah, I, man, I, I love this question, man, uh, because it is something that that needs to be talked about more. Right. And we just talked about the devaluation of running backs. And it's like, OK, so you mean to tell me on draft night, you're going to tell me I should select the, the the sixth best corner versus taking a generational running back. Right. Like that. That makes no sense to me. And I've always because, you know, obviously, you know, with my past experience and stuff, what I've learned is, is that. The dudes are dudes, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter what position they play, they find a way to impact the game. And I want as many blue chip guys on my team, regardless of the position. I want those guys on my team. And, and people look at it and say, okay, well, you need corners, 
Um, you know, you don't need linebackers and, you know, you need a couple other positions, right? But you look at how the San Francisco 49ers are constructed. They have a linebacker who everybody said you don't need linebackers, right? They traded for Christian McCaffrey. They don't have the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have some solid wide receivers. So they've went after positions that the NFL has told us that you don't need. But guess what? This is a team that made it all the way to the NFC Championship. So, Maul, to answer your question, I'm with you, man. Like, take take the blue chip prospect. Now, if you're talking about team needs versus um, – you know, taking best player available. I think that's why the free agency period is so important because the free agency period is proving commodities, right? Like the draft is a gamble. They tell us what 50% of first round picks hit and don't hit. Right. So the draft is somewhat a gamble. So I think with the free agency period, teams should go after, you know, try to fill as many team needs as they can. And then now just take the best player available to kind of simplify that process. Because when you start reaching, man, to the seventh corner or you're trying to find an edge rusher that only had, you know, 10 sacks throughout his whole career in college and you think he's going to step right in, it's like you're taking a gamble. So um, I'd rather fill that out, fill out the team needs through, via free agency and take best player available. And especially if it falls in my top two, top three uh, positional needs. So, so Keith, just to touch on that, I guess that's my issue in particular with a lot of teams in the NFL. But of course, we are a podcast that focuses on the Washington Commanders, and a lot of the fans uh, are predicting and projecting that they're going to select a offensive lineman. And I feel as though you should take the blue chip player, especially when you don't have many blue chip players. Uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball and the devaluation of running backs is really like mind blowing to me. Cause like you stated teams that have been successful over the recent years, such as the Rams, the, the Seahawks, the, the 49ers, the Cowboys and so on have all been heavily reliant on the running game. Do you, do you feel as though, do you feel as though like Washington should primarily just focus on offensive line or cornerback there at 16, or should they possibly look to add more weapons, especially bringing Eric B in to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, and I guess projected right now, Sam Howe is supposed to be the starter at quarterback. Um, I guess, let me even rephrase the question. Do you think for a young quarterback such as Sam Howe, who brings more value to him, a, a tight end or running back that also brings re- receiving qualities into play? And I guess you could say this is like me pitching for Jameer Gibbs once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll ask him all. I didn't know if he was about to pitch in right there. but I, Yeah, I, I just wanted to know about uh, some offensive linemen, but I can swing it on the back end. Go ahead. All right, cool. Yeah, I, so this draft, man, is in, in both positions, A.J., um at running back right like you have your two premier guys and then I, I i think that if those two premier guys there and it comes down to running back and tight end i'm taking the running backs um because this tight end class man and, and nobody's talking about them this is a deep tight end class like this is and, and it's a deep class to where i think it probably goes seven eight tight ends that i think in some capacity will start for an nfl team uh because you know nobody's talking about iowa's tight end sam laporta right or Michigan has a tight end named Luke Schoolmaker, who, you know, we know that Eric Bieniemy just came from the Kansas City Chiefs with Travis Kelsey, who's a dynamic guy. Like, th- 
that's a that's a one-off right so i know you're looking for a, a pretty good football player at the tight end position and i think those guys um oregon state's uh luke musgrave is another guy that's six six you know runs in the open field really smooth things like that so i think you can find a tight end in the second or third round to where if those blue chips running backs are sitting right there you definitely take one because i'm with you aj i'm with surrounding a young quarterback with as much talent as possible because there is something to learning the nfl game the wrong way man and you know you always flash back to sam donald saying he's seeing ghosts right and you know essentially what did that mean that mean he was seeing stuff that was not there because he's been hit so many times you know wide receiver ran wrong routes he didn't have anything dependable to where now he's seeing stuff that's not even there you would hate for a young quarterback like sam howell who you know if y'all hit on sam howell right you're talking about a quarterback that you have under contract for the next couple of years that you found in what the fourth fifth round you know like that could be a success story that now turns into a bad story because you didn't surround him with enough pieces so i'm all for surrounding the quarterbacks with pieces Keith, man, I, I appreciate the time that you have with us. I have two more questions. Uh, like I said, the first one, offensive line. Um, I'm a fan of Peter uh, Skaronsky, uh and Osiris Torrance at their, their natural positions for Washington. I mean, obviously, Osiris is going to stay inside. Um, I like him at left guard, the, the, the possibility with him, and I like Skaronsky at tackle. Um, what do you think about those two guys? Um, where do you have them ranked in, in their respective positions, or do you even have a projection for Skaronsky at uh, being kicked inside? What do, what do you think about those two? Um, and if you just had to give a number, um, it's just a, a blind number a percentage of them actually making it to 16, uh, what percent do you give it? I, so I'll start with the percentage. I, I think there's a, a 60% chance that they make it to 16 because I think people like this offensive tackle class, but like one of those top three, well, I think Torrance would definitely be there, but one of the top three tackles, right? You're talking about Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson, or Peter Skaronsky. From everything I'm hearing that the NFL likes them but doesn't necessarily love them, and that's with all three of them. So I think that one will be there for them to select. Um, now, in regards to Peter Skaronsky, I like Peter also, man, and I think that he's getting a knock because he doesn't have the extreme length. And then when you talk about a tackle moving the guard, well, I'm like, hey, this is simply a football player, right? Like this is still a starting level player and if you're talking about a guy that may be a starting tackle in the NFL but then he also has the potential to be a um a pro bowl interior offensive lineman you know like left guard or right guard then if you take that guy then that's that's a good football player right like and I keep saying this I'm about just taking good football players that's proven so I, I do like Peter Skoransky and I like the fact that he he can stretch at tackle but then you know this guy can definitely play guard also so he can fill whatever need you don't necessarily address through the rest of free agency and throughout throughout the rest of the draft all right um so here we go i this is the first time i even asked this question before ever fellas um but let's let's say offense or defense what's what's the side that you favor the most keith what, what side is that oh man i'm i'm a i'm a defensive guy at heart man i'm a right. defensive guy at heart <laughs> all right so defensive um let's build a team right quick man your your favorite team like your ideal defense um whether it's the the alignment wise or whether it's the the type of traits that you want uh whether it's uh you want you want all athletes or you want somebody who's like however you want to structure your defense right so we're going to have um defensive line linebacker cornerback safety one person from each level of the defense defensive line i'll give you two because you need that you need an edge guy you need an interior guy so line defensive line linebacker cornerback safety uh 
your prospects in mind from this draft, and maybe I should have gave you this question ahead of time. You got time to think about it. It's, it's perfectly fine. But if you were to build a defense from this draft class, based on the people that you've evaluated over the past few months and things like that, uh, what would your ideal be, defense be? Who would those prospects be? Um, and, and why would you why would you put them there? Right. That's, okay. That's all I got for you. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. So um, I mean, and I get to take all first rounders. <laughs> hey, do what you gotta do. Hey, I'm not even going. I'm not going to limit you. All I'm right, not cool. going to restrict you. The floor is yours. Go whichever way you want to. All right, I'll I'll be a little versed in it then, man. I'll I'll go if you're talking interior defense. Well, first of all, I like I like three four. I like our fronts. I like different schemes. I like throwing different things at offensive linemen, right? To see if they'll just you know talk you know miss protections or you know what I'm saying. Like the quarterback and the center are not on the same page. So I, I like seeing multiple fronts. Um, so if I'm gonna go interior defensive lineman. I, obviously, I think Jalen Carter is 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 the premier guy. So I'll go with him with the the top pick. I go the interior defensive line. I go Jalen Carter. Right now, edge rusher. Um, I say I'm gonna get a little verse in my bag, so that's why I'll take all first rounders. Mm-hmm. Edge rusher. I'll go Tennessee's Byron Young as a stand up outside linebacker. Man, I, I like that guy's first step explosiveness. Um, I, I I really like what he can do and what he can offer. Obviously, Will Anderson is my number one ranked edge. But like I said, I'm going to be a little versed and throw out some different names. So Tennessee's edge rusher, Byron Young, is definitely who I will go with next. If you're talking about linebacker, um, the guy that I think is the most instinctual inside linebacker is Henry Toto. Like watching that guy play inside linebacker, he flows inside the outside. I think he's a guy that we're going to over-evaluate, and then everybody's going to be like, damn, he's a really good football player. How do we miss on him? And it's because we overvalue the, you know, the combine type stuff. But this is a three-year start in the SEC Played at Bama, instinctual as hell, smart, physical, fast flow, everything. I really like him. Uh, cornerback, man. Cornerback is tough, man, because I, I like a lot of these corners in this draft. But I, I will go with um, – I'm going to go with Deontay Banks, man. I like what Deontay Banks could be. Um, you're talking about just – because he has natural size, man. So I think this is a guy, this is a press man corner, that if you just get some instinct stuff together, you're talking about 30, 40 yards down the field as far as ball skills. I think you you potentially have a lockdown corner. So I really like uh, Deontay Banks. Then at safety, like this is just – he played for Georgia, so he is a bulldog, but he's just a dog, period, man. And I'm going with Chris Smith. Like the dude is not very big. He He's under 5'11", under 200 pounds, but he just got that dog in him. So I'm, I'm going Chris Smith at safety. So that's my team if I'm – you know, have various round picks and I'm going one player from uh, from each position. That That's what I'm going with. Sounds hey. good. Hey, oh, wait, sure you had something? Oh, AJ, yeah, I know somebody said Yeah, something. I wanted to ask a quick question. So I don't know, of, of course, Keith, like this is a busy time of the year and you're probably indulging in your own work, but there was a recent uh, analyst by the name of Chris Sims that works for NBC Sports that made his top five pass rusher list. And on that list, uh, he has Tyreek Wilson, one. I think number two was... Uh, Luca Van Ness, three was Nolan Smith, four was uh, McDonald, and then five was uh, Will Anderson. You you mentioned in you know in in your mock that we just we just had you do as far as your best players for their their positions that you would select. Why why are some people down on Will Anderson? Is it because he doesn't scream freak like a freak athlete to them? Uh, like what? What's the issue? I mean, yeah, there was some drop off tape wise from 2021 to tw- uh, 2022, but 
like what what do you see about him and how he'll translate to the next level um because right now we have a team that we all peg him to be going to the Arizona Cardinals at three now kind of publicly putting out there that they want to trade back our team's just not getting it with with Will Anderson and not understanding the player more so uh looking for freaks more so than just a, a solid overall player that could be in this league for a long time so AJ, on to to shortly answer your question, and I'll go in depth of them. I have no idea what Chris Sims was doing with that list, man. I'm gonna be completely honest with you, man. I I couldn't disagree more with that list, uh, especially the players that's on the um you know ahead of Will Anderson. I'll I'll say this: if you're talking about if I'm being like super critical of Will Anderson, there is pass rush stuff that he needs to work on. I know this guy that had extreme amounts of production, right? But a lot of his production came via twists and stunts right so it wasn't him just like if you watch the film it's not him just one-on-one beating offensive tackles him using an array of pass rush moves to beat the offensive tackle a lot of this stuff is you know the the interior defensive lineman shoots across his face and then he loops around in for the sack so that may be with something you know with some of the reasons why people are being critical of will anderson but man i'm i'm buying into it i'm sorry like this is a guy that i recruited when i was at lsu like you're talking about one of the highest character people. And, and when I say character, I'm not just talking about like, oh, he's, you know, he's really good, you know, in the classroom. I'm talking about character, like football character that's going to come in. He's going to demand excellence from everybody else. You don't have to worry about his mode or how hard he's going to play. He's going to leave it all out there on the football field. He loves the game. So I have no idea the, the disdain for Will Anderson. I don't know if people, some people, you know, trying to do some different things. They want to try something different. But all four of those guys that you put ahead of Will Anderson, I would have them significantly behind Will Anderson, like significantly. Like because Tyree – and I'll continue. Tyree Wilson, <laughs> Lucas Van Ness, um, those are guys that – they, you don't even know if they're going to play defensive end. I don't know if they have the first step elite quickness when you're talking about hand in the ground or outside linebacker to be able to beat offensive tackles consistently. These are big body guys that you're probably going to push inside in a 3-4 scheme. So we're on a commander's podcast, right? So everybody's familiar with a guy like Ryan Kerrigan. I think they're closer to Ryan Kerrigan's than what they are to these elite level pass rushers. And Ryan Kerrigan is a, you know, that's, that's the, the top part of that, right? Like there's still a lot of, Average guys that sure. play good against the run yeah. with not even yeah, average as hell. So I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, but so you ain't, ain't got to sugarcoat it over here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's why I see those guys, man. And Will McDonald, he he's a talented football player, but I still think there's a lot that 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 you know he needs to improve on to be able to jump Will Anderson. Keith, man. Hey, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sticking with us a little bit past the, the time I I, I asked, um, but it, it's definitely appreciated, man. Great conversation. I want to give you the floor to plug anything and everything that you got going on, big dog. Uh, once again, we appreciate you, bro. Oh, man, definitely, definitely, man. Like you said, man, at the top of the show, man, senior draft analyst at the Draft Network, man. So we're talking about scouting reports, man. Go check those scouting reports. We probably have over 300 guys written up. Um, You know, check them out during the draft. So if you want to know the ins and outs, um, I know a lot of people do mock drafts, mock draft simulators, right? So if there's some players that you're trying to figure out, man, go to the Draft Network, um, you know, pull up those scouting reports. Then you can reach me at the talent code, man, on Twitter, man. Shoot me a question, DM me, holler at me. We can talk about it. And then, um, 
um, you know, me and myself and then my guy, Damian Parsons, my co-host, we host the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, man, on the Locked On NFL Network. Man, that's five days a week, 30, 35 minutes. We cover things involving the NFL Draft, a little bit of NFL conversation, college conversation, a really dope podcast. So make sure to, man, go subscribe to that. You can find it on YouTube or any of these, um, you know, streaming platforms as far as your podcast. Yes, sir. Here it is. Damn, set, huh? Watch him throw the ball. We gonna pick it off. You gonna let him hit the hole or you gonna cut it off? You gonna play through fourth and long or you gonna punt it off? Your defenders have you hit us, put your pads in. Don't be looking for the ref to throw no flags in. Keep the helmet on, keep the cleats tight. You the type to want to win by any means, right? You should look alive. This is Trapper Dive.